ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Giant time is here. That's right, we're talking Jason Goes to Hell, the final part of the final Friday on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet's your old pal Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from the old Voorhees Manor up on the hill. Oh, don't go up there, it's full of, of dust and the floors are no good. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of Jason Goes to Hell in the hopes that a Voorhees descendant's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person that I trust to help me in my time of need, but unfortunately, uh, Gina Radcliffe is... Well, she's stuck in South Jersey. That's right. As some sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, (laughs) we've stranded poor Gina in Jersey. at The one place she swore she didn't want to have to go back to would certainly not stay overnight. But no, she's stuck there. She can't get back. And so there was only one person that I could trust to fill in her lady sheriff pants. (laughs) And that is Kill by Kill all-star Amy Pascal. How are you doing, Amy? Oh, Patrick. Patrick, (laughs) I, you know, I told Gina this is a sign of how much I love her, and I will say it's a sign of how much I adore you. I would like you to know that about mm, 20 minutes before you sent me a message asking me to do this, I had, you know, finally, like, over the weekend, been like, you know what, I'm going to save Jessica Jones, like, starting this. I'd seen that I'd gone to a panel last week, so I've seen the first episode. I was really excited to see the second, so I just wanted to be in a right mental headspace, and, like, I wasn't going to be interrupted. And I started it, and within, like, five minutes, you texted me and asked <laughs> if I could do this. And... I did because I have a lot of love in my heart for both mm-hmm. of you. Holy fuck. This <laughs> is like the most insane thing. And I had because it was like the very end of it and I, I'm behind in all my podcast thing. So I couldn't even just like pretend to catch up like through what you guys have been talking about. So even just the very beginning it started, I thought they were going to be on a like a movie film set. I thought that's what was going to be the reveal. And it wasn't. And it just kind of got wackier from there. And I, wow, I'm just <laughs> going to say this is, um this is big. This is a big sign of friendship. And this movie is something else and also i'm gonna say right now i feel like i got cheated i got cheated because there was no kill 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 there was no choo 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 there was no Uh shushing none of that i didn't hear any of that and you know that's my favorite part of a jason movie of like what is going to be the new version and there was none of that and i'm i'm sad I think the themes of this and Jessica Jones might run parallel to one another because oh. they're definitely both about violations. Jessica Jones, mm-hmm. a violation of, of, of personal autonomy and, yes. and striking back from that. And Jason Goes to Hell, a violation of all that we hold dear. <laughs> <laughs> like good plots and good acting? Uh, um, there's, I mean, there's, there's some highlights here. Don't get me wrong, but this is... 
this is nutty. But before we get too far into this, mm-hmm. we I, I don't want to alarm you, Amy, but we are not alone. That's right. <gasps> we have a special guest. She is a writer and host of the YouTube series The Red Room, which covers everything horror. You at least once a week, you gotta check it out today. It's the one and only Chauncey K. Robinson. How are you doing, Chauncey? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I am so happy that you are here. I love your presence on Twitter. And I know that you love horror, and I thought, I gotta get her on the show at some point. And then you drew the straw that said, Jason goes to hell on it. Um, so before we get too far into that, oh, why don't we rewind the clock? Let's talk the good times. What was your first introduction to the Friday the 13th franchise? Um, well, my first introduction was Jason Takes Manhattan. Oh. Um, and for a long time, that was actually my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. And I still, I've actually, it's probably the one movie I've seen multiple times. And I know that's controversial because some people really didn't care for that movie. I guess it was the whole thing that they got to Manhattan like more than halfway through the film. But I think for me, it was, I just enjoyed it a lot more because it had the whole psychic connection and everything like that. That was probably my favorite one. And then when I got a little older, I, I finally started watching. Um, I think the next one I saw was the second one. Also, being a weird person, I think Jason X is also one of my faves. So I, you know, I, this is the <laughs> you thing. can judge you, me. No, 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 no. <laughs> like what you like. This is the wonderful thing about this franchise is that there are so many entries and entry points. And so when you have this many entries, the one that you come in on, chances are, is going to rank higher for you if it's something that you're into. So, yes, Manhattan has its faults. It, it, it has a teleporting Jason. There's a <laughs> lot of footage of smoking bread under heat lamps. And it proposes that floods of toxic waste go underneath New York City every night at midnight. Amy, I can believe I'm it. Sure it's true. Sure. I'm from Jersey, actually. We have an oh. issue with New Yorkers, so I can believe that. <laughs> well, I'm a New Yorker, Chauncey, oh. so we're going to have to throw down a little bit, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, I'm, just, I'm glad to know this early on. I'm glad to know your particular bias really early on, and we're just going to go from there. <laughs> but it is true. It is true. It's like just go yeah, every, every night at midnight. Yeah, it's a given. You can set your watch by it. You hear it in the in the background. You hear the screams of, of teenage mutant turtles being born. <laughs> just ooze. just turtles. They're not ninjas. Just teenage mutant no. turtles. <laughs> there can't be that many rat ninja masters to teach every turtle that becomes a homunculoid underneath the toxic waste pits. I think you'd be surprised, Patrick. I think you'd be surprised. That's all I'm going to say. I think okay. you'd be. You're the expert. <laughs> <laughs> you would know more than I. I'm way out in L.A. I have my own problems. All right. So let's get into this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this uh, it is the final Friday. It's the final section of the final Friday. And you know what that means. We have to find out first who is still left alive at this point in the movie. Let's do a quick body count. Now, first off, we have Steven. And it's... Here's the deal with me, and you guys can, uh, you know, tell me what, what you think of, of this uh, man as, as a lead character. It's like they went to the set of some benign Ovaltine commercial and wow. absconded <laughs> with a young child who was cast to say yum at the end of the spot. And then they grew him in a lab to fail at being a convincing leading man in this movie. 
and nothing about this casting works. It's I, I also don't believe it's the actor's fault. They just have no idea what they wanted to do with this. And they're like, grab that Canadian guy from the TV series because we at least know he can read lines. Are we supposed to believe that he's just out of high school? Like he we, and Jessica are just out of high school. I don't know. Are they? I thought. Are they? Well, they look like they're 35, but yeah. he's wearing a Letterman jacket throughout the entire thing. I mm-hmm. thought that was the sense that he couldn't grow up or something, like that he was still kind of a deadbeat in a way or something like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a there's a weird thing where she it is a very much a given that a lot of people in town are either against him or for him, like he's the town bad boy yes. or someone who's gone to seed or the other very conceivable thing that would have made a lot of sense is if he had gotten Jessica pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then decided, oh, I want nothing to do with you. And the town hated him as a result of that. Yeah. That would be a very believable thing. But they, they they don't. Because she doesn't tell her friends that she's pregnant when she leaves. So that negates that as a motivation. And so we're kind of left with this void where it, it kind of, in the last episode, we compared him to um, the in The Blob, the remake of The Blob. They have a town bad boy, whoever's like, ah, we don't believe him. And he rides a motorcycle and he fixes engines. And you're like, okay, there's a motivation there for him not being believed when he says there's a space monster who eats people. Here, he's just this guy in a letterman's jacket. I guess he lettered in getting chicks pregnant and <laughs> not being responsible. I don't know what for. Um, or, you know, dancing while he drives. I'm not sure. Uh, but it certainly isn't tackling people no. or punching them convincingly. He does take a punch well. So there's that. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. When I had, you know, in like revisiting this movie and like trying to do research on it, which is what I, I usually try to do the background of like movies. I saw that Blair Underwood was supposed to be originally cast. As really? it, and really? that was really interesting to me, but he turned it down for personal reasons. And I'm just like, wow, this would have been a totally different feel if Blair oh, Underwood yeah. had played this part. And it would have, I think a lot of it would have made a little bit more sense because like you, I was kind of like when I saw him in like that whole scene where the girl like kisses him and tries to entice him to come to the woods. I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. see it. Yeah. Like, I don't see well, this, I would like, see it with Blair Underwood. Yes, I would try yes. to kiss Blair Underwood and lure him into the woods. Exactly. So that's why I was like, okay, clearly they made this role for Blair Underwood and then they couldn't get him. for So for whatever reason, they went like a different direction. So That's very unfortunate because he, he was such a... I mean, listen, LeMay is not a bad actor. I just don't think they've given him a leg up here. Yeah. And the truth is, I don't know if if they necessarily would have given the same short shrift to any actor who came along, but at least this other direction would have been much more intriguing. He's obviously a very charismatic leading man. And at the time he's a very, I mean, he's a very handsome man now, Mm -hmm. but he was a beautiful (laughs) at this particular moment. But, I'm feeling uh, cheated again. Now, like, yes. I, I was feeling cheated before without not getting, like, a, a Jason, like, kill, kill, kill. Now I'm just feeling really cheated that I didn't have Blair Underwood to, like, swoon over this entire uh, time. Yeah. I, I'm angry at no one in particular, but probably <laughs> New Line. It seems to have fucked this up three ways from Sunday. Um, so, yeah, that's 
That's <laughs> Stephen. Congrats, Stephen. Oh, this poor actor. <laughs> I hope he never listens to this. Okay. Uh, then we have Jessica. Now, she's a character that the movie tells us is the center of Jason's evil plan to live and kill forever. And the most interesting thing about her are the pants that she borrows from a lady sheriff. Yes. And one thing I noticed about Jessica, and uh, forgive me if you've brought this up before, but she always refers to the baby as the baby, not my baby. (laughs) Other people will say it's your baby, but she'll say Uh like, Give me the baby. What are you doing with the baby? Why do you have the baby? You would think at some point, if you are the mother of a child, you would say, my baby. Or, or name. Or the name. Exactly. Uh, it's it's like it's a purse or yes. something. <laughs> it's like a, a really valuable, like her phone. Give me the phone. Yeah. I, yes, that's a very salient observation. Um, her relationship to that child, well, everyone's relationship to the child is uh, as if this thing can kind of, and I just said it, this thing, this child cannot take care of itself. You can't just prop up a kid in a box in the back of a diner and like, see after my shift, baby. That's not really how babies work. And you know you have a child. Oh, yeah. And I'm very good with babies. Ask anyone. I am a baby whisperer. The one thing I am really good with is babies. How old Oliver is at the moment, uh, that can be debated. (laughs) Uh, A couple shows ago, he wandered in in the middle of it with a dog collar around his neck that he couldn't get off. (laughs) So it's very debatable whether or not I am a proper father in many respects, but... Everyone said it was funny on Twitter, so there we go. (laughs) People are very happy with this performance. And once I told him about it, oh my, it went right to his head. I can imagine. I can imagine. But you you know what? You kind of have to come to expect that at this point. That's right. He's he's a show off. He's got got the bug. Speaking of people who show up to act the hell out of a scene, it's Creighton Duke. Yes. And... Mm -hmm. Duke's kind of like the anti-Madonna. Like, you only know him by the two names. Just saying Duke sounds wrong. You have to say Creighton Duke every single time. Yes. And that's pretty much it. I mean, everyone else has has been uh, dispatched at this point, with the exception of Jason Voorhees. And we just get treated to one, you know, movie uh, homage after the other. We're in the aftermath now of two Terminator-like rampages. And we discover, uh, as we pick up the action here, that Duke has taken the baby, and Mm -hmm. and dick finger quotes, to (laughs) the old Voorhees mansion uh, that we had never seen of nor heard of before this movie. Really? Yeah. No. This is not part of the franchise legacy up until this point. We've never known them to have a home. There was that one abandoned cabin with a strangely preserved toilet that we saw in part two (laughs) that gets its own music sting. That's one of our favorite moments (laughs) when the local sheriff pulls back a curtain to reveal this toilet and the the music goes, toilet. (laughs) I don't know that this is a cat scare level of relief I'm having here, but okay. It's it's interesting. Part two is interesting in a lot of ways. That's a highlight. Um, But no. No one's ever talked about the old Voorhees place. So 
this is out of nowhere. Hmm. This is just kind of like a branch, you know, universe from the original eight, because this is the first one that happened through New Line. So they're kind of okay. making up stuff as they go along because they can't use the name Friday the 13th yeah. legally. So they kind of lean on the direction that New Line had been used to making horror movies under, which is things that have the supernatural involved mm. in them. Hence why we have an old mansion and the Necronomicon that shows up from <laughs> <laughs> illegally, I might add. One of the prop guys was a prop guy on Evil Dead 2 and just put that there as a joke. Wow. Sam Raimi found out about it when he watched the movie. <gasps> wow, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah. That uh, that like, comes up minute, in Crystal Lake memories. Yeah. <laughs> that One makes is... a lot of sense with um like that different mythology that starts to come in since mm-hmm. they just kind of took it in a different direction cuz also I was thrown off because I was wondering how Jason even knew that he needed to be reborn that way cuz he never yes. seemed like he was like knowledgeable of being demonic. He was just, you know, this young kid that got killed and came back for revenge, sort of, yeah. in a way, to revenge his mother. But mm-hmm. this whole him knowing that I need to, I need to find my lost, you know, siblings and everything. I, I was just like, where, where did he gather that knowledge? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's true. Who told That's him a really that? Good point. <laughs> like, who told him this? How did you find out? I have no idea. Someone knew. Oh, that's yeah. the crazy thing is not only is it nuts that Jason inherently knows this, which is, I mean, he also inherently knows how to swim again after drowning right. in a couple mm-hmm. films. Uh, in, in part seven, he knows how to work various yard equipment. That you know, like, Why do you have <laughs> knowledge of how a gas powered engine works? You were like raised by rabid raccoons. It's one thing to to in the original eight have the idea that. Crystal Lake has a death curse, just as Crazy Ralph said in the first movie. And everything that happens after that sort of has is as a result of that death curse, whether it's supernatural when Jason's reborn or just that Jason didn't drown in the first place. And maybe his mother's death, you know, reawoke him from the bottom of the lake or whatever. <laughs> it's that's where you kind of throw up your hands and go, well, it's a goofy slasher movie. I mean, how much do I want to think about it? This movie has obviously thought about it and done all the math wrong. Yeah. After the fact. And so it's just, it's not that it's bad because it's different. It's just very odd choices peppered throughout. To your question specifically, Chauncey, how does Duke, Creighton Duke, know this stuff? In the first place, where would he have read about it? And at one point in this movie, he's like, do you remember me, Jason? Mm-hmm. What, what? How would he remember <laughs> oh, you? I read about why, though. I yes, read that, that it was cut. It was actually cut that Jason had killed his girlfriend where they when they were at Crystal Lake. Okay. Like some years ago, they had he had killed his girlfriend and he wanted revenge. Yes, that would they, be a suitable motivation. Exactly. They, it would have taken even they could have just done that in exposition. You know, they didn't even need to show anything. They they give him so many ridiculous like little monologues that are just kind of there and go on and on that they could have said he 
you know, his girlfriend had been killed by Jason and he's been studying him ever since, you know, and he knows everything there is about Jason, not just I'm the only one who knows how to kill him. Then it's like, exactly. And and he's being interviewed by a journalist. You would think the journalist would ask a question like that. No, yes. no, no, he's a terrible journalist. <laughs> yeah, Robert's a hack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Don't let the suspenders fool you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> but... Where he would pick up all the elements of the mythology is kind of suspect, but okay. And then we just have the weirdness of the Voorhees Manor that we see throughout the movie where it's got all of these sex harnesses <laughs> that chase that, zomb, that a zombie Jason straps another man into naked. And as Michael Verratti pointed out a couple episodes ago, this is the most intentional thing Jason has ever done in the entire franchise is go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to shave you. Where does that come from? I didn't understand that at yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, he wants to be clean shaven. He really doesn't like facial hair. Obviously. <laughs> Jason in part two kind of does have a mustache. So I, I get it. You don't want to go back to a look you had in the 80s. None of us do. That being said, once he has deposited this evil heartworm from the body of the coroner into that deputy who is strapped in with chains and bonds to that sex harness, how is he going to fucking get out of that? Why, why not just handcuff him to a chair or something? I just don't. Because it's sexy. You know what? Here's the deal. I don't want to shame anyone's kink. This mm-hmm. is not about that in any way, shape, or form. What it is, is does it belong in a Friday the 13th movie? Because we have a lot of odd sexualization of the mythos happening here that I'm not saying is inherently wrong to inject into any horror movie. I'm just wondering if it's right to inject it into this horror movie. What do you guys think? I was very surprised by... There's like one thing that's virtually porn, you know, with the two people in the tent having sex. And I was incredibly thrown off by that. And it really quite extended. And I feel like, you know what, especially in this era and just a lot of horror movies, there is the expectation or just, you know, I wouldn't say expectation, but of some sort of sexual scene. So... A little bit of it didn't bother me. Like, you know, the opening scene with the, you know, the house and the woman in the house, I I kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, oh, of course, of course they're going to have a scene like this. But it did keep going on and on into this part where I was just really super uncomfortable. And I was thinking that this is not, you know, kind of what I signed up for. <laughs> like, I signed up for a bad, I signed up for a bad, like, horror movie. And if I was in the theater, I mean, Goodness, some people go to these movies with their parents. Can you imagine, like, sitting next to your parents <laughs> while watching this, like, really, ag- not aggressive, but, like, really quite graphic sexual scene? That was uncomfortable. Yeah, there was a, yeah, there was a lot of that. And I had the same vibe uh, in the opening with that, even though it turned sort of meta in the fact that she was really setting him up. Because mm-hmm. then it started to be this sort of thing. I know, I remember there was always these jokes going around that, like, if people had unprotected sex or something like that, you get killed by Jason. So mm-hmm. it was sort of interesting with the tent scene that they the director really wanted to point out this part of Jason stepping on a condom yes. because the guy was like, oh, I hate these things. And it's like, well, that's how you die. Unprotect- unprotected <laughs> sex, literally, you know? And I felt like maybe it was like, 
making fun of that a little bit, like the over, like the overt sexualization of like people having that kind of debauchery and being so caught up that they don't notice when, you know, Jason comes around. But there was, there was a lot of that. And I, I didn't notice that as much in the other, in the earlier ones, for sure. Because that's a construct that people sort of paint over the franchise in total. Like there's a, an idea and it's been well, you know, sourced over the years that slashers are inherently conservative in nature, that people are punished for their behavior. But in a sense, the Friday the 13th series, while it is based in that, you know, pa- Pamela Voorhees big thing was you were having sex while my kid snuck out in the middle of the night and mm-hmm. I was cooking and he drowned and you should have stopped him. So I'm going to kill you off and make sure no one ever comes to this camp again. And so when she sees that behavior again, it triggers her to act. But from that from that movie on, it really just becomes if you violate Jason's space, you're dead. Yeah. And it's more about that than it is, you know, oh, you had sex, therefore you die. That's not really a part of the Friday the 13th mythos as a whole. And and it only becomes it now that it's in the 90s and we're getting a sense of meta. So let's get right into the action. Um, we've had this Terminator-like sequence in a diner where Jason, uh, News at 11 Jason, has killed a whole bunch of people, and we think perhaps he is finally dispatched. Uh, and we find this note from Creighton Duke saying, I've taken your baby. Uh, meet me at the old Voorhees house. Now, we see this note not once, not twice, but three times. And the third time, <laughs> we hear a voiceover of Creighton Duke <laughs> saying it as if the, like, people are never going to read in this movie, <laughs> which I think is... You know, not a great thing to say about your audience, personally. Like, it's 11 words. I think we got it. And it's not the most intricate message either. (laughs) You know, I have your baby come to the Voorhees house alone. That was it. And I don't... Did you discuss in the last episode, Patrick, um, the magnificent ponytail moment? (laughs) Uh, I'm not certain we did. Please illuminate me. Oh, well, this was kind of... I, I. I laughed to myself, but I was kind of like, this is both awesome and ridiculous with the dramatic music, but, or I wanted dramatic music. So she reads the note, like she's super sad because Vicky is, you know, has had like her head kind of turned into like a volcano of sorts. And I was really sad to not have more Alison Smith. I have to say, just because like when I saw Annie on Broadway many years ago, like she was my Annie and then she was on Kate and Allie and I loved her so much. So I was really sad to see her die. So you know, Jessica's sad and, you know, I really like that she goes to check her pulse, it seemed, you know, even though she has this big thing sticking out of her. But she reads the note and then she, you know, was like, oh, I'm going to go. So she gets up. So actually, I don't know if it's before she gets up. Either she doesn't want to down or right before she leaves. But she pulls her hair back really dramatically in a ponytail and then runs off. And I... <laughs> was so overjoyed by that like I felt like it was such a like 
yeah, like, this is what, like, badass women do. Like, they have no time for, like, their hair to be in, you know, they have to make sure that it's all pulled back. And I was trying to figure if she had a scrunchie, because that would have been even more funny to me, but I don't know if scrunchies were quite around at the time. So, but she definitely pulls it back and ties her hair back into a ponytail before she goes running off. And I just, I'm, I love that they took this pause to do this moment, but they didn't, I was sad that they didn't give us dramatic music, so... <laughs> Well, this movie is definitely trying to give you Terminator 2 Judgment Day vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. From this moment on, it seems to be lit by one blue god lamp, <laughs> which is very Terminator 2. So they're, they're really trying to give you all the colors of the wind here. <laughs> but grab a Disney princess's uh, song for some reason. So Jessica steals a truck and takes off, leaving Steven behind. And I think that's the most, cons- most uh, consistent attribute of Jessica's character. Leave Steven behind. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. She does not trust him fully throughout this whole movie. Now, Steven discovers uh, one of the most rare items in all of Crystal Lake after she leaves, a loose machete. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Everyone has loose machetes everywhere in town, which is odd considering that it seems to be a thing that Jason used a lot. But okay. What but are you did do? the diner, it seemed like the diner had like, it was they had a lot of Jason themed things. So yeah, well, they had. Jason had died, and so they had a lot of, they had Jason burgers, and mm-hmm. they, they were trying to take advantage of the publicity, apparently. Yeah, so that's why I was thinking that maybe that's why they had the machete. You know, again, this movie has a lot of plot holes and things that don't make sense, but for whatever reason, I thought, oh, okay, it's probably something that they had put up to kind of go along with the kitschy, like, you know, decor or whatever. And. That's not the only piece of cutlery that we have to deal with, Mm. because once Jessica arrives at Castle Voorhees, we learn uh, something that has never been mentioned before, not (laughs) even in this movie, and that there is a magic dagger. Somehow, in the years that have passed in between viewings of this film, a magic dagger that transforms when a Voorhees touches it? was information my brain would not retain. <laughs> exactly. Um, there's a couple things we need to know about this magic dagger. One, it has Tinkerbell magic. So mm-hmm. if you put that down on your bingo card, congratulations. <laughs> Two, only a Voorhees can give birth to Jason or kill Jason, which makes one wonder why Pamela was so distraught about Jason drowning in the lake. But, like, who can remember such an inconsequential detail such as that so many years later? (laughs) Well, here's my other thing about this dagger that transforms. Do you think that this was the inspiration for Ray catching a lightsaber? (laughs) I would love that to be true. That is exactly what I thought. I thought two things. One, which was... She's holding the baby with one hand. Jessica's holding the baby in one hand. And then she goes to catch it. But it's not like he throws it and she like catches it by the handle. It's like she's kind of like falling over and catches it with her other hand. And like just, it's very super awkward and ridiculous. But then it lights up. And I thought, oh, my God, this is like Ray. This is exactly <laughs> like Ray, like catching the lightsaber. True. And I, I mean, granted, when I saw the movie, I cried at that moment. 
moment. I didn't really cry at this moment, but who knows if I had been watching all of the Jason movies, like Friday the 13th movies the entire time, I might have cried. Who knows? I, I could have. It could have been this big emotional moment. But that was exactly what I thought. I was like, oh, this is this is clearly, clearly where. Was it, I think it was J.J. Abrams at that point. I could be wrong, but I think that's clearly where he got the idea from. I believe it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was, I mean, I think it goes back once again with the dagger of where did Duke find it? Who actually enchanted the dagger, which maybe Mm. there's like magic and witches also in this universe now. It's. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is a dagger in Evil Dead. Two, the dagger of Candanavra? I might be mispronouncing that, but there's a specific dagger that if you stab someone who's who's possessed uh, or who has an evil de- a deadite spirit inside of them, it releases it. And I think they're, again, just stealing from any movie possible, mm-hmm. which is weird for a Friday the 13th movie because you don't necessarily have to steal from other movies. Yeah. But this one does it a bunch it's it's a little bit of the hidden it's a little bit of terminator it's a little bit of the thing it's a little bit i mean in here in this section of the movie not only do we have the crate from creep show make an appearance mm-hmm. out of fucking nowhere <laughs> but we also have this rob botine thing uh makeup appliance that is very much trying to evoke the uh the cpr sequence in that film and while I appreciate it, I just wonder why it's so necessary. I have no idea. I I felt like maybe with this movie, Jason goes to hell. They were trying to, like what we were saying earlier, like create this new mythos around mm. him and kind of breathe a different kind of life into the movie. I mean, it came out in 93. And I mean, maybe it's just this, this whole thing of maybe, I don't know exactly what was happening around that time. I was probably like 10. I think, or maybe even younger or whatever. But, you know, maybe it was just this whole thing of wanting, you know, I mean, I think simple is best, but I think maybe they just thought they couldn't just do another, in their mind, another Friday the 13th movie sort of a deal. So they needed to add all these different kind of elements to bring like Jason into this whole a whole other level in their mind. Was this, it's interesting to say that, was this the first version that New Line had? I mean, the first, okay, so I can see that. Like, I can see that being them, like, you know, we're going to make our stamp or put our stamp on the the Friday the 13th movies and Jason's mythology. And as you said, Patrick, before, you know, we know supernatural, like, horror movies. So kind of like the said to the writers, like, the world is your oyster. (laughs) Make whatever batshit crazy thing you want to do. And they just really went batshit crazy because it's kind of all over the place. And I... I just constantly just kept finding myself going, wait, what? Like, what? It ha- there was twice where I just literally, my notes were, wait, what? What the fuck is this? What, what, what? And then there's a whole line of just no's at that point, <laughs> at one point. And I'm sure you both will figure out where that is. Oh, yeah. But, um, <laughs> and I think that a lot of times that does end up happening when, you know, if a, piece of you know an ip or piece of media goes from you know one group to another and they want to show like oh this is how we do this differently and this is how we do it specially you know they do this it's like you think about how many times sherlock holmes has been retold and it's like 
it's sometimes there's I think what in the movie wasn't there somewhat supernaturally I could be making that up the one with Robert Downey Jr. Young Sherlock Holmes certainly leans <gasps> oh I loved I loved Young Sherlock Holmes I love that movie I had I even got like the novelization of the book but yeah that's super like supernaturally and the you can still put your mark on something you just still need to make it make sense I just want to pause the podcast for a second mm-hmm. uh, so that I can silently weep to myself the idea that Chauncey was possibly single digits when this film came out oh Um, (laughs) yeah uh so i uh, yeah i I was doing the math just now i think i was about six oh Oh, chauncey god damn it what how dare you be that young i refrained patrick because i was going to ask you if the reason you invited me on was that you had another old person on Be, you know, because, yeah. I don't like to be outnumbered. Yeah, I, I understand. I understand, especially when someone's like, yeah, I was six in 1993. You know, the year after I graduated high school, Chauncey. <laughs> thanks, Chauncey. I wasn't feeling old today, Chauncey, but thanks. Young at heart. Young at heart. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the side eye that I'm giving you right now that you cannot see is magnificent. Let me just tell you. Magnificent. Because it, it comes just- with age. <laughs> Just to put it in perspective, Johnson, this is, and I said this before, I'm sure people are very sick of it. This is the same year that Jurassic Park came out. Mm -hmm. So in the same year that people thrilled to the idea of dinosaurs being very realistically, even to this day, Mm -hmm. it looks really good, the dinosaurs in those movies, coming to life and being threatening. The same year, this movie's like, hey, we're going to throw this dagger at you while you're holding a baby. Guess what? Turns into a magic dagger. Anyways, you're on. And they just go and they film it and they t- have one take and they use it. <laughs> like everything just flies by. You're just throwing shit at the screen, hoping that it works. You know what, though? I, this is the year after Buffy came out because Buffy the Vampire Slayer came out in 92, the movie. Oh, the movie. Mm-hmm. The yes. movie. Yes. And there's a bit of that going on in there as well. So maybe, you know, I'm just trying to think if there was other like girl powery things. Not really. Um, I mean, not quite yet. I mean, it, yeah. it's it's brewing under the surface. Yes. Because what's about to happen are things like the craft and mm-hmm. scream. And I know what you like the knowledge of the the flipping of people who are making horror movies is happening. I mean, yes, they're still white guys. But they're now doing a riff off the things that they saw growing up. So you're getting a lot of knowledge of horror movies and acknowledgement that these tropes exist within it. Mm-hmm. So things like Buffy and The Craft and Screams are emerging. And this kind of happens in the middle of it. And while it certainly is telling you every second that it's seen the movies that you love, it's not quite reaching the level of either a Friday the 13th movie because it's trying to be something else or the movies that it's constantly aping. It's not as good as The Hidden and it's not as good as Terminator and it's not as good as Creepshow and it's not as good as Evil Dead 2. So why make a big deal out of pointing the audience in that direction to say, hey, remember these great movies? We saw them. Anyways, back to Jason Goes to Hell. You bought a ticket, dummy. Well, um, wasn't 
this was also this was done by New Line Cinema, right? Yes. And, and I think that's inter- when you when Amy was talking about um, girl power because we know with like the Nightmare Elm Street series, they usually had the whole um, strong women characters throughout. Mm. So maybe they were starting because in, in their hands, maybe they were starting to mirror that too. Probably trying that with the with the Jason series, but also even like what I was just saying about Blair Underwood or even Steve. I think Steve Williams Williams is his mm-hmm. name, um, who does Duke. There was also like you know what also stood out to me, and even the first um, person to take Jason uh, eat Jason's heart randomly um, in the film is also African American. So yeah. there's also this increase, I think, of visibility with uh, in race terms as well, perhaps. Maybe. Yeah, and I, New Line kind of does that. Did that with the with the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street series as well. In in cases, so that's one positive, I think. Yeah, no, yeah. I I thought about that. I I definitely noticed that because I know with Stephen Williams, he's in X Files, right? Isn't he yes. Q? I think it's Q. I could be wrong. Um, no, no X. he was he was X. X. He was X. Sorry, he was X in that. And then before concurrently, he was also on Fox's uh, Twenty One Jump Street as the that's angry cat. right. But yeah, so I think like I definitely notice these like you know you know African American like character actors that are put in fairly prominent roles. I mean, even though the coroner gets nixed pretty early on, he's still a very significant role that like starts everything off. There's a whole lot of stuff that's that's going under the surface here. Mm-hmm. Um, when we had Ashley on from GraveyardSisters.com, who now is going to be uh, writing for the new Fangoria, which is super exciting. Awesome. Um, but one of the things that she brought to our attention was that historically, the Friday the 13th series had an actual, more, uh, more of a presence of, of black characters than Nightmare on Elm Street did hmm. concurrently. Hmm. It's just kind of spread out over more movies, but it's it's there. But conversely, New Line Cinema had this weird thing where they would acknowledge the fact that Nightmare on Elm Street movies were extremely popular with black audiences, as horror movies have been historically. Uh, but they always kind of shied away of really pointing at it. And the way you can tell is, is that throughout a movie, you would hear rock song after rock song after rock song. And then you get to the closing credits and you're like, oh, it's Houdini. I don't huh. know. Oh, yeah. it's the Fat Boys. Whereas up to a certain point, it was like, oh guitar masturbation song after guitar <laughs> masturbation song. <laughs> yeah. And then they were just like, ah, we, we know you're out there. Fresh Prince did a Nightmare on Elm Street song. Yes. Yeah. They, awesome. they, they auditioned with that song. They sent it out to everyone saying, we want a song. And the, they chose the Fat Boy song over the Fresh Prince mm. song, which is asinine uh, for many respects. But they also then forced uh, that duo to change the melody because they had used the uh, actual Nightmare on Elm Street piano riff as the backbeat. Um, So again, put it in your calendars, people. Uh, Thank goodness we're trying to do better now. Trying. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, for sure. But, you know, uh, there's no excuse. (laughs) Yeah, we we can we can placate it, but you know what? Everyone could have done better then, and they chose not to, and they have to live and die with those choices. Uh, let's get back into Jason Goes to Hell, I guess. Why not? Sure. Why not <laughs> we bought our own tickets to this. Uh, um, I need, yes, well, you bought my ticket to it. <laughs> but uh, we uh, back at Joey B's diner, we see a pair of sheriff legs 
come in, discover this grisly scene, and then out of the blue-filtered shadows comes News of the Love and Jason, again mm-hmm. violating every rule we've been told about Jason zombies up until this point. He has sustained all sorts of damage, but is still uh, ticking. There's something we need to talk about. Uh, Jessica and Creighton are, are waiting for what they assume will be a Jason zombie. And Creighton Duke says, don't trust anybody. It doesn't matter what they say or do. They're probably Jason. And we have two sheriff pants owners Mm -hmm. walk into the room. One, the very comely sheriff, Randy, evoking uh, call me by your name vibes. And then we have (laughs) uh, Sheriff Grandpa, who somehow at his age was dating a early 40 something Aaron Gray and I call bullshit oh, on yeah. that. That blew that blew me away. When they had that reveal, that was insane. Yeah, no. There's no fucking way. I don't care how Mm-mm. small that town is on single dudes. <laughs> I don't see that pairing working. Uh amongst the many fantastical elements that might be the most. So both of them walk into the room and they're both telling her, "Drop the dagger. I'm here to help you." mm mm-hmm. Mhm. One of them is a Jason zombie. I get the idea that you don't know which one is which, but this again violates another rule. Jason doesn't talk, and at no point (gasps) have the previous Jason zombies talked. Mm. Now, they've been vocal, they've grunted, but none of them have gone, hey, stop, I have something to say here. They don't, there's no witticisms coming from them because Jason inherently doesn't, talk ever and now they're ta- what what wh- why why are, why can't they follow one of their rules you know what the the other thing too on that note is um oh no never mind i had a different point that doesn't make any sense of this <laughs> okay because <laughs> sure. i i because i really thought that like something was going to happen with duke because he was like don't trust anybody and i thought it was going to be him it might as well be but yeah. he also hands her the the dagger, so yeah. I don't know why you would hand someone the implement, the the only thing that can kill you. Oh, quit but, coming at me with logic, like the, you oh, know. This is no place for logic, this, Amy. This is Again, no place for logic. All of this is asinine. Chauncey, yeah, I mean that was that did throw me off because suddenly, because this goes back to what I was saying about how um, Jason up to this movie was like, you know, this like this killer who kind of had this one track mind and he had died as a young boy, but I guess didn't sort of die, but like grew up and then died again or something. And now he's like in up to that whole mo- in that whole movie, he hadn't said anything. He just had one track mind. And then suddenly he's trying to throw her off too. It's like, oh, he's the killer. I'm like, wait a minute. Is that Jason? Like, <laughs> where did he, like suddenly he's like, I don't know, like has more of a brain to him to actually be trying to throw her off. And I, I think it goes back to them trying to make him more sinister, like knowing that he needed to kill his family members and things like that. I'm like, yeah. that's not the kind of, not saying that he was like a teddy bear mind-wise before this movie but they made him so much more in a weird way they made the killer more sinister if that makes sense (laughs) like just the roots of the series certainly pamela and jason in part two are stalker killers like they can't overpower everyone that they're coming in contact with so they lure them into traps and and that Mm. sort of makes sense like it's a different sort of thing and then you get into part three and he becomes this giant frankenstein yeah i guess i'm uh, very overnight yeah (laughs) and and the series evolves and, and that's perfectly fine 
there's things to like about it and things to not like. But there's something to be said for if you wanted to do this setup and have it be more John Carpenter's the thing where you don't know who might be a Jason zombie and who might not. There's a legitimate movie to be made about that, but they didn't make that up until this point. And they're like, oh, you know what would be a good idea that we should have had uh, eight weeks ago when we started filming? <laughs> this. Exactly. <laughs> go. <laughs> and at no point did anyone go, should we like feather this into other parts of the script? Ah, no one's going to care. And as a result, I care deeply. Mm. So uh, Duke, Creighton Duke says, kill them both. <laughs> at which point Sheriff Grandpa makes a run at Jessica and she full on stabs him straight in the chest yes that was quite quite the dramatic like little moment yes <laughs> so sort of. uh, we have yet another incidental kill uh, this there's several in this movie, but uh, that's not something that, up until this point, like we had a lot of get bunks mm. and then with, we were absent of it. Did you notice the get bunked moment in this, Amy? I don't think I did. When the lady gets uh, killed with the, the rail spike in the tent. The oh, yes. The spike goes through the tent. Oh, no, so yes. That, that I definitely that noticed. A get, we're calling that a get bunk. <laughs> Chauncey? Let me let me uh, clue you in. Yes, because I did not know. I did not know what get bunked is. Okay. <laughs> so we've noticed in the history of the Friday the Thirteenth series that people get killed through other objects. The first incident of that being Kevin Bacon in the original Friday the Thirteenth. He's killed through a bunk. Oh yeah. And therefore, when anyone is killed through another object, they get bunked. And this is a wonderful tradition that the film had through many editions. And then it just disappeared after part six. And it only reemerges here. And I haven't seen Jason X yet again before our recording of it. So I don't know if it's going to reemerge there. But it's a wonderful tradition. And Amy coined the term, our hashtag get bunked. Our one I true <laughs> piece of ownable IP was <laughs> coined by someone who is not uh, just a guest on the podcast, a beloved guest. Beloved. But a guest and what's even funnier is um, that wasn't how I was using it. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's stuck. <laughs> but it's stuck, though. I actually really like it because I had used it, Chauncey, as we were trying to figure out if she was, I forgot who the character was, because she was a virgin, if she was going to go have sex. And yes. yeah, so it just said get bunk. But I really, I like I like how it is transformed. I, I do get very excited when I see you guys use it um, on your social medias because that's what the cool kids do. <laughs> But mm. so it always makes me happy. So now I know the uh, the new proper meaning of it, which is excellent. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot. Of, actually, I wrote that down. There's a lot of impaling going on in this movie. There is. And it's very unsettling. I'm, there's I a don't... lot of things being stuck into other things. Yes. Yes. And all that that entails. So we have a movie that's inherently sexual by nature because anything that involves insertion, mm -hmm. <laughs> for, for lack of a more artful term, I'm only a professional writer. Uh, it's already like vampires. It's already sexual. Mm -hmm. But this movie kind of ramps it up a few notches on top of that. And it's only going to get worse here. Because uh, Jessica stabs Sheriff Grandpa, and then uh, out of nowhere, Stephen runs in <laughs> <laughs> with this machete, saying, get away from her, and cuts uh, uh, Deputy Randy's neck open. Deputy Randy happens to contain uh, a 
Voorhees uh, heartworm inside that was of him. So gross. Oh, you know what I remember about this movie once I started again was how grossed out I was oh, by God. most of everything that happened in it. It was like just so many gross moments, and I'm usually into like ghost horror, like you know, like there's mist and stuff like that. So- <laughs> Like, that's the kind of stuff I like. And so, for me, I remember, I, I once I looked at it again the other night, I was like, oh, I remember why I don't repeatedly watch this movie. And that that scene of it coming out its neck with those maggots, I just, I uh, could not. See, I didn't, it's interesting you just said maggots, because I didn't see maggots. I thought it was ramen noodles. So, initially, <laughs> he's going down, because the, the other part, I just want to mention, Patrick, of because we do discuss the kills here, and the characters mm-hmm. that do get killed. So, Stephen runs in really super dramatic. And I think he kind of jumps, but he does this big slicing thing. And when, you know, I had wrote him down as cute young cop. So when cute young cop, like, falls, he, it looks like he's got the tiniest little scratch on his neck. And then he falls down, and it's like this, you know, first you just see this stuff coming out. I'm like, oh, my God, did he have, like, ramen noodles, like, right before that he came in here? Like, did he have ramen noodles at the diner? And then, then you see something crawling out after that. And I was like, oh, is it going to be the heart? And, and then it's like, is he giving birth through his neck? These are all of my notes. Like, it's literally yeah. is, you know, what the fuck is this? And my complete bafflement to the whole thing. But yeah, I'm kind of glad I didn't realize it was supposed to be maggots because I think that would have upset me, like, even more. But I was so, I just, if you go back and look, I swear, maybe the prop people did this, but it just looks like it's covered in ramen noodles, like, from top to bottom. Because he, he this creature whatever comes out and at first I thought it was just going to be the heart and then it becomes this creature and it's covered in ramen noodles covered top to bottom in ramen noodles I mean it's trying to be all of these different movies obviously cutting a person a killer's head off is a very Friday the 13th thing I mean Mm -hmm. it's in the original but unlike that we only get a partial chop of the neck and the other thing is Stephen really like from all the way downtown he <laughs> comes in with a, a, a machete and you're like the woman who gave birth to your child and the baby there you may want to be more delicate with how you wield the machete just running full bore into a room but again yeah I, you got you called it ramen i wrote down a scent that this thing that comes out of his neck looks like a sentient can of spaghetti <laughs> <laughs> it also mules, which is not cool at all. I don't. Creepy. It's no. It looks like a. It looks like an inside-out bat. I think they're again. They're hearkening to another movie. Now they're giving us the inside-out dog from or monkey uh, from the fly. The inside-out dog is in the sequel, which is also <laughs> a very gross movie. Perhaps the grossest, which is saying something because David Cronenberg directed The Fly. So it's this turned inside out creature that kind of has claw hands, but no feet. And it goes squirreling around, making these little bat kitten noises. (laughs) (laughs) It's not scary. It's weird, but I don't know that it's scary. No, I thought it was kind of cute. Like, I'm not going to lie, especially when he muled it, like, some point. I was like, oh, (laughs) like, I'm because he got the ramen off of him. So once he got the ramen off him, I was like, oh, you're kind of cute. He just needs a a mama version to clean him off. There you go. And just lick that off. Oh, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. No, that's okay. (laughs) 
I'm gonna I'm gonna get better. Let's talk about something that's truly unappetizing, <sighs> and that is Jason's rebirth. Because now <sighs> this creature falls through one of the many holes in the floorboards here at Castle Voorhees. For fuck's sake, like the Atari 2600 version of E.T. the video game had less annoying holes <laughs> than this movie in this locale. Everywhere you step is another place you can fall in through the floor. Creighton Duke, just before this, has fallen through mm-hmm. into the basement and has impaled his leg on a piece of rebar. The creature, the Jason Heartworm, drops down and then we catch sight of... The crate uh, from one segment of Creepshow out of nowhere, just to let us know that the director has seen other movies that we like. I and thought that was referencing something else. And I went to look it up and, or no, actually, I think when I clicked, I was watching on Amazon and it, that's when it told me from Creepshow. But I thought it was like some big reveal that like all big Friday 13 fans were like, oh my God, Arctic Expedition. And no, <laughs> I was wildly disappointed to find out no. And why they would need to create anything from an Arctic expedition into the Voorhees yes. house is yet another question. But, like, I don't know. This this place is full of the craziest junk. It's it's like a TGI Fridays. Instead of all the junk being on the walls, it's just spread out all over the house. Mm-hmm. And so this heartworm uh, looks at Creighton Duke. He's crawling up the stairs and then looks over and sees the body uh, of Aaron Gray's character. And immediately heads for that. Now, what happens next is unseemly. Can I just say, I don't don't mean to interrupt you, but I just want to say, as soon as I saw this creature, look at Aaron Gray's character, I just started and I wrote it because I first I said it, then I wrote it, which was no, 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 no. I got very, very upset by this. I, you should be. Thank you. Everyone should be. And you know who is the most upset by it? Actress Erin Gray. <gasps> mm-hmm. Because she only found out about it while watching the premiere of <gasps> the movie. She knew that she was a party. She knew that her body gave birth again to Jason Voorhees. But she was never told how. She wasn't there for it. <gasps> so she discovers this while she's watching it. No one had told. I mean, this, <gasps> that's just gross. Wow, that makes it number even one. Worse. Yes, it does. It's it's a violation on two levels. But we then again enter the weird internal sexual politics of this film, and it really doesn't make it any better. Uh, the kink of the shaving scene, I can get behind as a weirding out, and the director tries to frame it as. If I was going to have naked people be in this movie, I wanted there to be a parody. So if there's a naked woman, I want there to be a naked man. I'm all for this. Mm-hmm. We we here at the Kill by Kill podcast have often asked these films, filmed many years ahead of when we watched them, to please see what that booty do on that guy, the supposedly hot guy. We want to see male nudity. It was just I'm I'm really really disturbed on Aaron Gray's behalf now because I was so unsettled by it just watching it and knowing what was going to happen that you know she's played this character I mean how many movies has she played this character for one oh yes, this, this, this just one. It, oh the way it, we've never we've never known that anyone was a Voorhees 
relative outside of Pamela. Oh. And she died in the first movie. Uh, so all of this is new. Oh, I didn't realize that. See, again, because, you know, I haven't watched everything, I kind of just assumed that this had character had been established. But any movie that you're in, like, you have... Uh, you know, an actor is going to connect with the character and kind of be protective of them. And like to just find out while you're in a theater with a bunch of other people that this creature is crawling up into your vagina is very, very disturbing. And it's, they did not need to go there. And and also, like I said, it kind of, the weird thing is like, you know, we he, we see him crawling out of weird, cute cop, uh, you know, and it come, when he comes out of his neck, it really felt like he was being birthed, this whatever this creature was. So it's like mm. almost in a way of, okay, you have your birthing scene here. So we don't really get the Jason birthing scene in the same way, but it's like, it is. It's much more violating what they do with the female character than they do with this, you know, the, the scene just, just right before it. Yeah, I mean... Because you put a trust in people to make not make you look like an asshole mm-hmm. when you're doing a lot of goofy things in any movie. Oh, no, I was just going to say I agree with you. It's just, it would be kind of weird going to premiere and seeing yourself... Be your body, I mean, even it's faceless yeah. at this point, but being violated. I mean, even worse, it's like faceless. And then it's, I mean, I squirmed when I saw it. I think I squirmed when I saw it some years ago, too. And also, I mean, just plot wise, it didn't make much sense to me because I guess what mm-hmm. I was wondering was, well, there was a few things with it. What I was wondering was when Jason takes over people's bodies, does he remember their memories in some form of oh. way? Because I, I mean, I don't know if that's the case, but like when he took over Robert's body, the hack news anchor or whatever, mm-hmm. he already knew the body was there the first time when he first came out because that guy had put the body in the house. So it's like, did Jason not know that? Ah. Did not he? Did he not hear that? So it's like, couldn't he have been rebirthed like in the middle of this movie? And that's why I was starting to wonder with the whole thing of that thing crawling out of the neck was it a chicken or the egg kind of situation that they got to that part of the writing of the script and was like we need to bring him back somehow how do we do this oh you know he's been some sort of worm let's make him some evil deformed baby thingy and the body's there so now let's just have him crawl up her vagina like you know it was like I kind of feel like like maybe toward the end that's where they got to the point where it's like we have to figure out how to make him come back it is a very valid question. I don't think they answered it well. But here's the very complicating factor to an already fraught situation. Jason transforms back into his pure Jason form. Mm-hmm. He now emerges from a another hole in the floorboards, <laughs> bursting up because he, he hates any sort of blockade. He hates doors and he hates windows but now he hates floors on top of it and he is dressed exactly in the same outfit (laughs) that he blew up in so does magic give him clothes if so if you can just transform into any version of jason why not make yourself a less why make yourself this crazy mad ball version of jason why not return to a a less undead version of Jason because you've been rebirthed? None of this makes sense. It is maddening that we are the only people who have put in time to thinking about this and they had (laughs) years to develop this script. Why does he have the fucking face mask on again? Why? Why? 
does he does he have that inside of him? And he just whenever he rebursts out of a body, he's like, hold on, I've got a spare set of clothes <laughs> in this trunk over here. I think it would actually be very interesting if he was rebirthed to maybe not the child when he died, but like, you know, a child still with that kind of crazy super strength if they want to still make it supernatural. Or, you know, if he's all about like just killing everybody, I think to have a completely different form, you know, that so it's like when people see Jason, they're immediately scared and they're going to run away from him because he's got a hockey mask and in this one seemed like straggly hair and his brain was, you know, exposed. So if he had made himself into, I don't know, like an attractive man or like I said, or a child or something that is not going to be quite as settling, that would almost be a more interesting way of relaunch, you know, relaunching this mythology that he does, you know, if you're going to go supernatural, go all the fucking way out supernatural and i'm sure that like all of the fans are going to be bitter especially then we're going into this next fight and you know you want to see a, a, you know the jason fights which are really disappointing but i just think that they they you're right like they missed the opportunity to have him completely like you know if you you're rebirthing yourself rebirth yourself to something majestic that is going to like just help your power like if you want to kill more people like be disarming like be something that people are drawn to if you turn yourself into a butterfly you know like go kill yourself like go people with butterflies people you're a puppy cat like a puppy cat jesus i can't even say words (laughs) no if he had come back as a puppy cat that would have been awesome yeah if he exactly like and he would have been way ahead of like all the memes and the trends so it's like if he'd been a puppy cat think about that like if a puppy cat came up to you You'd be like, oh, puppy cat. And you'd want to like curl up and pet it. And then if it killed you, like pull out a machete, you would be surprised. But mm-hmm. you, if, you know, you see Jason walking down the street, you're going to run away. You're <laughs> not going to be there as a puppy cat. Yeah, I just want him to transform all, all the phoenix and be the most perfect version of him that he could mm-hmm. possibly be. And he wouldn't necessarily have to have clothes. I don't, I just don't, I don't get it. I, oh, well, what are you going to do? In, in a... If you listed all the things that were wrong with the movie, you'd still be writing right now, hmm. <laughs> uh, even if you st- even if you started in 1993. But this is what we're we've been left with. Oh, my guess for where Duke uh, Chauncey for where Duke had come from is that I I had uh, supposed that possibly he was actually the older version of Reggie the Reckless. If if time means nothing in the Friday the Thirteenth universe, then perhaps he, Reggie the Reckless had um. grown up into a bounty hunter. <laughs> that would have been just, cool. It would have been cool, and then we would have had one super girly scream out of him when he died, and that would have been great. Then that would have been confirmation. But no, I was gonna say um, with uh, with the why he came back the way he did. The only I you know when you watch something and it doesn't have much logic, logic you start trying to put logic for yourself because mm-hmm. it's so you can't wrap your head around it but the only mm-hmm. thing i thought was that because she was already dead like maybe that's why he was going after the baby oh. and the mm-hmm. uh the niece the great niece because they were alive because he could have came back like fully formed like like we were saying like you know some new body some reborn oh. human but because his last resort was having to go through the dead body that he came back as his corpse version Maybe they didn't I think, think you that. Solved it. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I know. I'm like, all right, all right. I accept that. That totally I, makes sense. You, listen, we could very well just cut out an entire section of this <laughs> and marry the two together. <laughs> 
because it only took it. We're farting around, giving uh, suppositions, and meanwhile, Chinese is like, "I solved this." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it would have been cool if he came back in the waitress uniform, though. If we would have been fantastic. On. That would have been great. I would have loved that. <laughs> this is a, uh, just a random question quickly. Is like Stephen when Stephen says to uh, Duke, like, oh, does it have to be a, you know, rebirth through a Voorhees woman? Does it have to be a, a one that's living? And he's like, no. And he's like, because Mrs. Voorhees or whatever is downstairs dead. Now, how did he know that? I mean, he knew he found the body, but how did he know that the body was in the basement? Because the he had fallen through yet another hole in the floor. That's right. I forgot. Okay, you're right. Thank you. Yeah, cut, if, cut that honestly, out. <laughs> you, you could call it the final Friday. There's a lot of holes in this house. <laughs> and it would be more accurate than Jason Goes to Hell. I've never seen a house with so many active floor problems yeah. than this. It's nutty how it stayed up until this point. Uh, anyways, um, Jason reemerges. They lose the dagger underneath what is apparently the heaviest dresser of all time. <laughs> no one can get down on the ground. Everyone's leaning over. Like, you know, how you lose your keys and you're just like, I don't want to get down. I don't want to put a knee down to get these fucking keys. And you keep reaching. At a certain point, get down on the floor and mm-hmm. get the fucking dagger already. But... Luckily for all of us, Creighton Duke is here to the rescue. He has a pair of handcuffs and he cuffs himself to a pipe and his other hand to Jason Voorhees. And sadly, he is not torn asunder. No. Why set that up and not pay up? Well, who the fuck knows? Anyways, at a certain point, Jason just rips him uh, his arm through the handcuffs and just bear hugs him to death. Yeah. Which is a little underwhelming in terms of, like, we've seen this before. Like, that's a big part six death when he bear hugs somebody to death. So, and it, eh. and it just felt, it kind of felt bad. I mean, for, for Duke, especially if they had actually given us more of a backstory for him, that he had put all of this effort to, you know, prepare himself and to learn about Jason and how to kill him, blah, blah, blah. And then he has, like, such a, me unceremonious death yeah he deserves better as a character Mm -hmm. because he's set up to be a really cool monster hunter the other monster monster hunters they get kind of laughable deaths um but here i just he deserves better as a character but again i just don't think the movie was well thought out in that particular direction so the dragger then falls through another hole in the floor <laughs> because this this house is made of Swiss cheese, and so that uh, means they someone has to go down to the basement. So Stephen does the only thing that he really knows how to do, and that is take a running tackle at Jason uh-huh. and defenestrate him through a window. Uh-huh. We are then left with what is a full four minute. Lethal weapon style karate fight on yes. the front lawn of a house. Can, can, hey. can we also mention that they go out the window? He, you know, Stephen yells and makes this big, like, with his get away from her motherfucker. And then they, it's a first floor window and it's a yeah. floor to ceiling window, too. So they're not just going out like a window, like it is floor to ceiling and then they just land on the grass and they just kind of get them and dust themselves off. And I thought, wow, for that yell, everything else, that was, I think, like my issue with a lot of 
the scenes where it was like really big dramatic delivery of these lines and then what follows was just like ah like this is like yeah we, we you know we're not putting any sort of effort into that and i but i laughed really hard really hard when i saw that they were they just ended up on the ground because they were on the first floor the the amount that they put into this fight because we had joked in the previous episode that his fight along the side of the road had felt a little they live Mm. But this really is them trying to now evoke another movie in both Lethal Weapon and They Live where this where an endless fist fight in which there are no repercussions for anything that anyone does. Yeah. yeah. In in Joe Bob Briggs fashion, we get we we get rake foo, rake handle foo, we get playset foo. Oh. They, they're just he's chopping and hacking and people are getting punched. And there's no repercussions for it at all. At one point, Steven is on the ground on his back and he kicks Jason, a seven foot tall man, Mm -hmm. across the face with his foot. (laughs) Is he Walker, Texas Ranger? How did this happen? Well, it's interesting because like I, I, I... There's a lot of movies I haven't seen, including Lethal Weapon, so I didn't have that reference. <laughs> My reference, however, is sadly older, which was uh-huh. I felt like it was a Three Stooges set. Because, <laughs> you know, and then at like one point he gets the rake and then he just kind of hits, like he hits Jason with the rake and Jason just kind of holds it, looks at it, takes the rake part off and then just keeps beating him with the stick. It was... Like oh, and then he then uh yeah, Stephen pulls out like a shovel and kind of throws that up. Like not even throw, he's still holding onto it like in his head. But it kept dragging out so long. Like so many times, I was like, "You should be dead already! Like you should be dead!" I realize that you're giving him like it's one thing for Stephen to have dragged it out to give you know Jessica time to get the dagger, but Jason should have just been like, "Oh, I'm gonna kill you, and that's it. Like let's get going." Like the fact that they were just dragging it out forever. It is it, like he he could he should have been dead so much earlier, and that just got to, started to annoy me. At one point, Stephen kicks uh, Jason in the crotch, mm-hmm. uh, and nothing happens. So, unlike the werewolf, Jason does not have narc. I mm. I might have said that out loud to myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it's like it's becoming Evil Dead <laughs> when he gets the sh- when Stephen gets the shovel to the face. I'm like. If you just wanted to this to be an Evil Dead movie, you probably just should have done that. But they don't really go in that direction either. It's It just wants to be all these other movies instead of being a successful Jason Goes to Hell. Anyways, this fight is fucking endless, but thankfully for all of us. Uh, Jessica comes to the rescue. She puts that baby in a box yet again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness there's another box to put that baby in. So many boxes. <laughs> so right many there. boxes. And, and from downtown herself, she takes a running jump at him and stabs Jason in the chest with this magic dagger. Now, it's still kind of sticking out a little bit. <laughs> I guess you have to stick it all the way in like it's a key. I'm not really sure, but from the moment it gets in there, we start to see the first Tinkerbells fly out of it. <gasps> yeah. Uh, Chauncey, uh, I think before recording, stated this gets a real Highlander vibe Yes, going on. yes. Mm-hmm. I, I totally had Highlander vibes. The whole, there can be only one, and like the, the lightning coming in and stuff. I was like, wow, this is, this is interesting. 
Uh, Steven punches Jason in the face a bunch of times, and it is less effective than perhaps Chauncey, your favorite, or at least most beloved Friday the 13th film, uh, where we have a real boxing match and someone else punches Jason in the hockey mask a bunch of times. This is even less effective. Finally, Jessica comes to the rescue yet again and kicks that dagger straight into his chest. And this then evokes a Marvel Cinematic Universe light beam from the sky. Mm -hmm. And then uh, rock hands come (laughs) out of the ground along the labyrinth. (laughs) Start dragging everyone down into the ground, including Steven. And there's a, a, a five second shot of Jessica just looking. Yes, I did not understand that. Well, it, I, you know, is she debating whether or that's not to what I thought. Steven? That's because what I thought. What it flashes across is like, I don't know, this would take care of a lot mm-hmm. of problems. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought I I was like, oh, she's waiting a while. She's trying to decide if like whether or not she wants to save him. And I and he still has that stupid jacket on. And I was just <laughs> like, this is a reason to let him die. Let him die, Jessica. Let him die. I, I might have yelled that. I, I but I liked it. I actually really liked that she sat there going, hmm, hmm. I'm not sure. You've kind of yeah. I mean, if she pulled out a piece of paper and started writing down pros and cons, it probably would have taken less time. It's the only thing missing. And so she regretfully uh, stands up and helps him out. Jason, meanwhile, is being attacked by Fraggle Rock monsters. Yep. And the the weight of those pieces of rubber, they don't come across the way they want it to. But eventually... He is finally dragged into the ground. Steven remains above it, at least for this movie. And they then, uh, we have a big explosion of drawn animation light. <laughs> and that's it, man. Jason has gone to hell. Um, R.I.P.D., Jason. That, that See, he you has. See, would want to be you. Until next time, my friend. Um, we don't know how he gets up out of the ground, but he does. Uh, then we get a nice Halloween three shot of this our now reunited nuclear family uh, walking with the baby in their arms as the sun rises in the distance. And we cut back to uh, Jason's mask. Uh, a dog almost pees on it. Okay, I thought that was totally going to happen. <laughs> I did too. Well, that's how Freddy was reborn at one point. He was reborn by Hellfire Dog Piss, uh, I believe in part four. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it was a thing four. that actually happens. Uh, but it d- doesn't here. No, the Nightmare on Elm Street connection we get is uh, Freddy's arm reaches up out of the ground and pulls the mask down into the depths, therefore reuniting these two iconic movie monsters. Uh, but we won't see their movie together for many, many years. And yeah, man, that's Jason goes to hell the final Friday, people. Any other thoughts? (sighs) (laughs) Deep sigh. I, yeah, I mean, oh, golly. I, I was amused by the fireworks. I, you know, with everything shooting out of him, then the sky opening up and, um, which then I kind of realized that Jason only goes to hell at the very end of the movie. 
Like, yeah. I feel like he should have gone to hell earlier, which I'm sure probably has been brought up or somebody has said this. But, um, yeah, I, man, this was terrible. Like, it was just, <laughs> I've, I've watched bad movies and I was, because I, it was, it it was baffling. I think that was like a lot of my issue with it. Where it was just the I was baffled in like did anybody really put effort into this script? And you know, as we've talked about it, like I do think it's interesting that it's you know New Line's first, you know, Jason movie, so they wanted to like put their stamp on it, but you still have to write a good script and it still needs to make sense, especially if you have a mythology that's come before. Um yeah, I don't know. It was just wow, wow, and don't have things crawling up into people's vaginas. Like no, yeah. no, that yeah. that's gonna be a thing. That that's just uh, a rule. The only piece of trivia that probably should be get uh, put out here um, is that the arm wearing Freddy Krueger's glove uh, is uh, actually Kane Hodder. So that makes him mm-hmm. the only actor to ever portray both Jason and Freddy on the big screen. Ah. So check that off your bingo card. Uh, that was said. I, I don't. And then we have a very unconvincing Freddy laugh. Yeah. Uh, which does not sound like Freddy at all. Uh, Chauncey, any other um, thing that you want to say over the grave of Jason Voorhees? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, mean, I think I... Uh, I mirror the deep sigh that Amy had with the <laughs> film. Um, I yeah, it's for me one of the things I kept writing in the notes I had was gross, like gross, gross, mm-hmm. gross, <laughs> and that's what yes. I remember. Like the whole thing with that man that was melting for like way too long that scene, and just there was a lot going on in this movie that they tried so much to do, like you said, and I just nothing really landed. You know, I knew mm-hmm. it was going to be a problem when the beginning, when Jason's getting shot up and you hear his grunts. And I was like, how can he feel this? I don't like, you know, I knew we were going to be on a weird path with the movie. So, um, yeah, it's one of those things you experience and then you move on. So- <laughs> <laughs> well, before we put it behind us <laughs> and never, ever look back, mm-hmm. there is one bit of business that we have to attend to, uh, and that is it's time to play Choose Your Own Death Venture. That's mm. right. If you were forced to die in one of the ways that are portrayed in this portion of the film, which would you choose and why? The items up for bid for this section of the film are stabbed in the chest with a magic dagger mm-hmm. and have your neck severed by machete, your spine crushed in a bear hug, or dragged to hell by rock monsters. And so, Chauncey, as our guest here, our very special guest, I turn to you for your answer first. What say you? I'm going to say dragged to hell by rock monsters. I just think that would be really cool if I had to go out any type of way. Um, Maybe not to hell itself, but like if you're going to (laughs) go, why not? You know, some stuff. I just, it's, I'm a dramatic person. I study theater. I feel like that would be apt. I just would not want to have my neck severed or anything like that. So, Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you know, we we actually don't... The thing is, like, hell appears to be very escapable. Mm-hmm. So you've got that going for you. Because Jason doesn't stay there very long. He pops back up uh, during filming of Jason X in uh, late 1999-2000. Although the film was not released for another two years because 
I don't know. New Line had better things to do, I guess. <laughs> what it comes down to. They're like, ah, we got some Lord of the Rings movies. Let's focus on that. Uh, yeah. Sure. That makes sense to me. Okay, Amy. Um, uh, it's your chance. What 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 one are you going to swing for here? I was trying to decide if I should go for what I would choose or what Gina would choose. And I think Gina might go for a bear hug. I mean, I would probably, I, I, I really like the idea of a bear hug. So I was going with that. But then as Chauncey was talking, I started thinking about something. And then she said this line that she would like her death to be very dramatic. Mm-hmm. And when I thought about that, I was like, yes, yes. Yes. So as much as I want a bear hug, um, I think that'd be a really nice way to kind of just like curl up and like, you know, float off into the netherworld. Um, I want the magical dagger in my chest because then I'm shooting motherfucking fireworks left and right. And like (laughs) the world will know, the world will know that I am leaving my mortal coil and I am going somewhere else. And I just, yeah. I want fireflies. Fireflies are my favorite. I get very excited when I see them. I want fireflies. I want sparklies. And I want fireworks shooting out of my chest just because of this magical dagger. Okay. Uh, That's a fair cop. I um, am going to go with uh, having my neck severed with Mm. machete. I I think that'd probably also be Gina's because uh, we both like Mm. quick deaths. Mm. uh, And that seems like you would not be around for most of it. Of course, you also have to have a inside out bat creature crawl out of your neck so it's not all wine and roses Mm -mm. but oh well i'm not going to be around for very long anyways and now that chauncey has reminded me of how old i am (laughs) (laughs) i'm not be around for much of anything else either uh so uh, before we put jason goes to hell in the ground there is one other element we need to talk about and that is plugs uh chauncey uh, where can people see and hear more from you well yeah you can follow me on twitter at miss chauncey kr and on my twitter um i give a lot of links to one of my horror review movie review shows which is the bloody breakdown and also we just relaunched my um co-host and i lucretia lyon the red room where you can get all your horror uh, uh news uh from real uh horror to reality horror so Okay. Now, you guys had a sort of TV focus before. Are you you now expand, broadening out of that focus yeah, beyond we, TV? Yeah, we're we're broadening it out. Uh, we uh, uh, one of Warner Archives, who's a division of Warner Brothers, actually sponsors now one of our segments, which Ooh. deals with um, uh, vintage horror, like throwback horror of movies. So it's like old school horror movie recommendations, also. Um, dangerously dangerous in love segment so we wanted to expand um now that we're doing it kind of um a little bit more in our in our own network type of thing so um yeah we're talking about reality horror like real horror stories in the real world and also like ghost stories and stuff and then also like tv movies and also we're going to start doing comics soon all right awesome Check it out today, people. Subscribe on YouTube. Uh, smash that like button. Uh, other things I've heard when my son watches YouTube. <laughs> Do that today. Uh, Amy, uh, where can people find out more about you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and like where I occasionally post at Amy Pop, A-M-Y-P-O-P. Uh, my personal site that has links to all of my other little projects is the Amy Pascal. And that's an E at the end of Pascal. And 
Uh, hopefully, Ladies Love Paul Rudd, our podcast will be back um, off of hiatus soon after uh, I get my editing going. But uh, yeah, so that, that hopefully we will be back and my co-host, Larissa, and I will be discussing all things Paul Rudd. Yes, uh, he's a handsome man. And there's a lot to be said about a chin that prominent and attached to a funny individual. Uh, you got Newt out there to discuss. Yes. You got uh, it's some Ant-Man and the Wasp coming up. Uh, he's, maybe he's in Infinity War. I don't know. He'd be the only one who isn't. Um, <laughs> he's so small, you can't see him. And so that just about does it. Hey, you want to reach out to us? There's a couple ways you can do it. Uh, reach out at the at uh, Kill by Kill Pod on Twitter. That's the easiest way to do it. Have something longer to say, um, like this uh, respondent who reached out to us, uh, Stephen Brogy, sent us an email. Said so. The ne- Necronomicon is in Jason Goes to Hell. As discussed in previous podcasts, the series has a crazy timeline, and Jason Goes to Hell takes place in the early 2000s. In the real world, they released Evil Dead on DVD in those rubber replicas of the actual book of the dead in the early 2000s. So isn't it just as likely that the hero has stumbled upon a DVD of Evil Dead (laughs) rather than an ancient Sumerian text inked in human blood and bound in human flesh? You know what? I can't say that you're wrong. Uh, because nothing in this film is right. So there you go. Uh, thank you, Stephen, for reaching out to us. That is a very cogent point that I'm glad that you reached out to us about. Thank you for being one of the first people to actually reach out to us <laughs> and say that you like the show and oh. want to discuss it with us. It's very, uh, we get a lot of Twitter people, but email seems to be an older fashioned idea. <laughs> I love me some emails. Uh, I love them. I don't answer them, but I love them. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Uh, We're also on Instagram at Kill by Kill Podcast. Uh, We do fun things over there. And, of course, there are the Facebook uh, groups uh, where we discuss all the minutiae of the Friday the 13th series. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Don't worry. The body count continues, but not in the way you think. We're in between movies. So if you wanted to prepare for what's going to come to you, mm-hmm. well, get on your finery, get that tux out, find the best poodle dress you have, because we're going to prom night to Hello, Mary Lou. That's mm-hmm. right. The movie we've talked about endlessly. We're finally going to give the kill by kill treatment to Hello, Mary Lou. Kill, uh, <laughs> Hello, Mary Lou. Prom night two. It is currently streaming on Amazon Prime uh, in the most imperfect condition possible, which is probably the best way to see it. It's like you popped it in the VCR yourself. Uh, Check it out. It's a great movie, and I am not joking with you. We really like this movie. Please watch it, and then next time we will be discussing it with some great guests. And we won't, it won't be a one and done. We're going to go whole hog. And so until then, for myself and for Chauncey and for Amy and for Gina, who is somewhere in the middle of South Jersey, <laughs> we say bye-bye, everybody.
Kill by Kill is produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.